Welcome to the Building Resilience Podcast, a show where we explore the world of sport, music and business to deconstruct the tools and ethos of world-class performers that create growth and optimise business. I'm Noel Allnett, the CEO of Securo, and today I'll be talking to Catherine Alcorn, an Australian entertainer, singer and performer. Catherine started her singing career in a pub in Wagga Wagga. Since then, through persistence, passion and hard work, she's carved out her career on the stage, serenading and charming audiences across the world. Building Resilience Podcast. Catherine Alcorn, welcome to the Building Resilience Podcast. How are you today? I'm very well. Ship to shore. Hello, can you hear me? It's lovely to be with you, Noel. <laughs> yeah, here you're uh, you're on a trip from uh, from Cairns to Sydney and you've um, you've stopped halfway. I'd love to think just to record this podcast. Of course, I have organised for the captain to dock just outside the gorgeous Tangaluma near Morton Island so that I can talk to you about resilience today. It's all for you, Noel. Oh, oh, brilliant. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, what I'd love to do is really start at the start, um, growing up in the northern shores of Sydney to then making it on the stage and becoming one of the most in-demand entertainers in the world. Could you talk me through your journey? Of course. Um, I grew up in St. Ives with my mum and dad. Mum was a Bondi girl and dad was a dairy farmer from Kyogle who ended up in Sydney when he was in his late teens, early 20s. And uh, they were both engaged to other people at the time. And then they met and fell in love. And they had two children. I was the first and my brother James. And uh, we had a really, really beautiful childhood growing up in St. Ives. Um, We had everything that we could ever want as children, loving parents, wonderful opportunities, uh, great schools. I ended up going to five different schools, as it turns out. I wasn't a problem child. It's just that uh, the environment was very important to me. So I, I took a, a few chances until I found the right one for me. But um, music and cinema and dance was always something that I loved and always participated in. I I started dancing when I was very young and I always sang. Mum tells me that I knew all of the words to The Wizard of Oz by the time I was three. It was something that was always just in me and that I really loved and that that was easy and joyous for me to connect to. So from there I joined school choirs. I spent time in the Australian Girls Choir. I performed in all of the school musicals. And when I ended up at Barker College for year 11 and 12, um, they had an exceptional music and drama uh, facility there, which I really embraced. And from there, it was just a natural progression for me to head to university. And I chose to go to Charles Sturt University in Wagga Wagga, of all places. I I didn't choose NIDA or I didn't choose WAPA or... Uh, any of the other big arts colleges, uh, there was something really attractive to me about, well, aside from the fact that I I auditioned and I got in, that was a big plus, but um, (laughs) Charles Sturt University in Wagga (laughs) offered a degree for acting for the screen and stage. So you studied those disciplines concurrently for the three years, whereas somewhere like NIDA, you have a shorter course in screen compared to the stage component. 
And my mum also went to teacher's college in Wagga Wagga as well. So here I am, the daughter of a dairy farmer who's very much got that that country uh, aesthetic and, and love of the land and the space and the people and pairing that with my mum's experiences down in Wagga Wagga, it kind of seemed like a no-brainer. So I went down there for three years, which turned into four. I was studying the, the acting course down there and was living with a couple of girlfriends. We moved off campus and we, um, one of them, Jade Camden and I started singing together and Jade worked at the local leagues club and every so often she'd, she'd come out from behind the bar and she would jump up and sing with a couple of the local musicians. Don Hillam was one of them and uh, one night she called me down to the pub and she said, come on, come down, come down, we're going to have a sing. And uh, Jade was very vivacious. She was she was the front woman always and never afraid to speak to a crowd. And I was just the, the good singer who could harmonise really easily. So the two of us jumped up and these local blokes uh, heard us sing and Don came over to us afterwards and he said, oh, you girls are bloody great. I'm going to make a duo out of you. So he bought us a PA system and uh, off Jade and I went performing around pubs and clubs and weddings and parties and I think there were a couple of funerals in there as well um, for the next four years throughout university. And from there and from Dom's connections, we we met some local producers who put on a lot of dinner theatre shows and a lot of uh, uh, special concerts at the local civic theatre. So we sort of became entrenched in their world and it was just one of the most incredible times of my life. And that's where I really learnt to cut my teeth, not so much at the acting course in uni, but outside of, of that course, working in the real world, I suppose. And uh, from there, I in Wagga, I met a boy and we went traveling and I did the, you know, sort of did the, the Australian Mecca through Whistler and then two years in the UK and was singing and writing originals with bands over there as well and different cover bands. And I then made my way back to Australia and mum and dad insisted, mum especially, insisted that I did my diploma of education. Uh, so while I was in Wagga after my after my acting degree, I completed my dip ed, which was only one year at the time. And honestly, I was I was so disinterested in it. I really, I don't even remember writing an essay or, or taking an exam or anything. I'd sort of just clocked out because that was never my ambition. However, when I moved back to Australia, I taught music in a couple of different primary schools. And then I took a job as the personal assistant to the head of sport at the Wild World of Sports at Channel 9 where I was undoubtedly the world's worst personal assistant <laughs> but had a wonderful time and met some wonderful people in the industry who I'm still very close to and are huge supporters of the work that I do. And it was during my time there at my last year at Wide World where I, I knew that this wasn't right for me. I knew that I was on the wrong side of the industry at that time in my life so I put together a little show, a little show that was really to serve as a showcase piece to launch me into the Australian market. I'd lived in Wagga for four years and then after that I was outside of Australia for three years. So I've been out of Sydney for seven years and I really needed something to sort of break me back into the market. 
So uh, in 2009, I started about creating um, a little piece with a, a dear colleague of mine called Peter Cox, who was one of those producers from Wagga that I mentioned earlier, who I'd worked with for years. And we were seeing a friend show at a venue in Sydney called Slide Lounge, and it was on Oxford Street. And it was a cabaret venue, and I went to see their show one night, and I walked into the most magnificent world. It was an old Commonwealth Bank on Oxford Street that had been turned into the most glorious cabaret room with a stage that lit up and chandeliers and long tables with gorgeous French meals and, you know, rapturous audiences. And I thought, this is what I want to do. I need a show that I can present here. So I spoke to Coxie and I said, I want to do a show. And he said, well, you know, who do you want to do? And without even thinking, I, I immediately said Bette Midler, as though it wasn't even my conscious choice. It was just, it was in my body. It was just waiting to be asked. It was your calling. It was. It was my calling. And I, I think it has never been my my dream to play someone else, you know, throughout my my adult career. And I've really moved through a love and hate relationship with this show, which has been really interesting itself. However, three weeks later, after that conversation with Coxie, I had a script and we booked it into Slide Lounge in November 2010 and I invited every agent in Sydney to come to this show. And none of them turned up, <laughs> but the general audience did and the show kept selling and selling and selling and we became a residency at Slide Lounge for a year. We did a show once a month and it was only until the end of... Uh, 2011, that one agent came to see me and he signed me pretty much on the spot. I then became the artistic director for Slide, uh, where I was able to produce lots of different festivals and produce lots of different artists and give the same opportunity that the then artistic director, Mark Kuzma of Slide, had given me as a young artist with, my, with the Divine Miss Bet. And in 2014, I decided that I needed to focus solely on my career. And so since the beginning of uh, 2015, I have lived and worked solely as a performing artist in Australia. And I then went on to found, find or found my uh, production company, Tenacious C Presents. And the Divine Miss Bet has gone on to tour Australia multiple times We've toured America in 2018 and then we were resting in 2019 to produce a return season to America in 2020 and, of course, we all know what happened then. We certainly do. So that's that pretty much brings us up to now, aside from a couple of things that have eventuated throughout COVID. Thank you. That's a, that's a, great, uh, a great timeline. And uh, with so many twists and turns, I always like hearing where people have these forks in the road where like you, you didn't have to get up that night to, uh, to jump on stage in the pub, but you did. And then those things happen. I always, I always think uh, when, you, when you see these points of people being fearless, good things come at the other side of it. 
like the sporting industry, I speak to a lot of sporting people and also in business, there's, um, there's a lot of people start in the industry or, or have aspirations at what we they say the, the top of the funnel, but only so many people make it through because it's so competitive. Um, what would you say drives you? What's the fundamental um, beliefs that you have that, uh, that don't hold you back? The quote that I live by in my life is comparison is the thief of joy. And Teddy Roosevelt said that. And I really remember that every day and I implement that into my life. I'm an independent artist, an independent producer. I own all of my shows, all of my material. And there have absolutely been times and periods where I have unequivocally compared myself to other people in the industry who are getting that job or getting that gig or getting that contract. And while seemingly happy for them, always comparing myself back to why aren't I doing that? Why aren't I getting that? Why, why, why is it not happening to me? Until it got to a point where I did first hear that quote and it was like a an alarm bell, a light bulb had gone off and it just made so much sense. I think there is room for everyone. There is room for everyone in any industry, in any country, in any town, in any life that you're living, there is abundance. And as soon as you recognize that, that weight that holds you back, that is comparison, lifts and you are freer. And you, I think it helps you to zero in on focus on just what you want to do and it does allow you to really be happy for your colleagues and for your friends and for your family who are succeeding and who are making their own choices and who are undoubtedly staying in their lane. And once you embrace that for yourself, I think that the world is your oyster and the universe really supports you and will help you drive forward what it is you want to achieve. Yeah, no, I I really agree with that and really resonate. It's... um, uh, running your own race um, and being happy with your own race or not happy but at least taking action to change it, it's not all smiles all the time and that's just part of the journey um, it's uh, it's vital to be able to have that self-awareness and it's a lot I talk about with my team here is just having that understanding that self-awareness that there's the real reason we do things and the right reason we do things and, and making sure that we're uh, we're being consistent with the way that we, we discriminate between different behaviours and, and different choices and different mindsets. And it's tough, especially in a, in a high-performance competitive environment where you literally do have an arrow on your back because somebody else wants to wants to get that space. Um, for somebody going into the entertainment industry today, what would be the two to three pieces of advice you'd give? Number one, Moving into a world where you are constantly auditioning and you are a lamb to the slaughter almost and you are constantly under judgment and you are rejected on a daily basis. I think learning about rejection is a really big thing that I would love to see a lot of arts colleges and arts schools start to teach and make their students aware of because a lot of the time these students are sent out with stars in their eyes and bless them, they need that. 
that is that is what the, that's what the magic is and i want them to hold that close but i do also really want them to be aware of what they are putting themselves up for and learning how to manage those feelings of rejection can be very very difficult and very challenging and i suppose my advice is is that it's not you it's the puzzle it's like being picked for a team it is exactly like sports you know arts and sports are so similar we're all athletes at the end of the day we are all pieces of a puzzle and you will find that you fit a puzzle one day you i think learning about how how to cope with rejection is a really really big thing i think number 2 dream big always go for what you want but do it with grace and do it with a really good attitude be humble treat those around you as you want to be treated i was speaking with a family here on the ship this week about uh their son who's training in um audio production at the moment and god knows we need so many more of those audio producers and and production teams around at the moment um but my one piece of advice to them was for their son uh that they asked me about was work well work hard um be good to work with i think that's a really big thing i think that if you're if you're a team player and you're in it to serve others as opposed to just yourself you will always work you will always work if you're good to work with you will be offered contract to contract to contract so i think that um that idea of the fact that you are working as a team you are working to serve others first makes you a great team member of which many teams will want you to be part of and thirdly don't listen to the naysayers that's a big one <laughs> so many people across my course of my time have told me you will never do that you will never do that this show will never make it and i have blocked it out as as my production company is called tenacious c some people would say i am one <laughs> and that's okay because i have forged ahead and i've blocked out that noise and i think if you if you have that dream if you have that self belief and that self awareness you can do anything i think that's very very sound advice it just a, a message on your first point there around that and that really is resiliency right it's understanding the how to deal with rejection mhm one of my sales mentors often says the selling starts when you hear the word no correct <laughs> <laughs> we we get so caught up in the in the uh, in the practice in the in the getting ready for it and then the no comes it's like oof so what do you t- what do you then what do you teach them when when you get the no what happens from there what's the next step well that's really it's understanding the why it comes back to asking questions seek to understand um so you can then adapt and change or position things differently and i think that's one of the big things that that we especially with social media and and in the in the fast paced environment that we have there's a lot of presumptions made um rather than asking the question um or well, these global views of well if like you say with the naysayers everyone does shows you'll not be able to do it it's like who's everyone exactly not everyone does shows you know it's like so it's really about understanding the uh understanding the why um and then 
moving around it and uh, and tackling it head on. Uh, the obstacle is the way, which is a, one of my favourite uh, Marcus Aurelius quotes. You know, it's like understanding understanding what's in front of you is is, is vitally important in order to be able to to conquer it and, and move beyond it. And the only way that you can understand is by communicating. I think that's also another really big point, clear communication, a clear understanding. It's like when I'm sending a quote off or my agent's sending a quote off for a gig and we they ask us to quote them a certain fee and we do and then they come back saying, well, no, we can't do that. Then we open the conversation to say, okay, why? What have you got? What can we do to help facilitate this? And it's about that that transaction and that communication to understand, as you said, the why and the how and how you can move forward. So no is certainly not the end game there. And as um, as uh, oh God, I've forgotten her name in Clueless. Her father says no is simply the starting point for negotiations, and yeah. I love that. <laughs> it's <laughs> really true. Yeah. It's really true. Yeah. Catherine, the the last question I've got today, and thank you so much for taking the time out uh, um, and uh, and pausing the cruise ship for this conversation. (laughs) Um, How would you define resilience? Everyone is born resilient. Every human being is born resilient. I think resilience is a choice. It's all in us. It's just how we choose to use it and whether we choose to use it, whether you're in a situation that feels impossible. We sadly lost a very dear friend of ours two years ago and his wife is resilient in the fact that she wakes up every day choosing to get up and moving her life forward. My mother's best friend from high school, Lynette Dawson, her family finally got their verdict of after 40 years of not knowing where Lynette had gone yesterday Chris Dawson was found guilty. The resilience that that family has exuded throughout this entire process is unfounded, unbelievable. My best friend who has lost her father and her son in the space of 10 years, that's resilient. She chooses to get up every day and continue her incredible career. So I believe resilience is a choice if we choose to to use it and hear it and act on it and trust it, then I've I've mucked up this answer, but that's 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 how I that's how I feel about it really. I'm resilient in the fact that well, that's what I wanted to say. Sorry. I also believe that resilience is a belief. Resilience is a belief. It's it's a belief in yourself. It's your self-awareness, it's never wanting to give up, it's choosing to keep moving forward. Thank you very much, Catherine. And you didn't mess that up. It's, uh, it, it, I think it's some great insights uh, throughout the conversation for our listeners. And again, I really appreciate your time. Catherine Olcon, thank you for taking the time on the Building Resilience podcast. Thank you, Noel. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Building Resilience podcast. Make sure you hit subscribe or follow wherever you listen so you don't miss future episodes. Thanks again to our guest today, Catherine Olcon. I appreciate your time. Thank you to our sponsor, Securo. If you'd like to know more about myself or Securo, you can head to securo.io. Securo. Trust tomorrow. Trust tomorrow. 
This podcast was made by Afternoon Sport Group. Thanks for listening to the Building Resilience Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, why not check out one of our other podcasts? Like Strive Stronger with Andrew May. Listen in as Andrew May explores the latest and greatest in human performance. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts or head to afternoonsport.com. Afternoon Sport.